So we're continuing our series called Bad Words of the Bible. And this is not a series on profanity. Uh, It is a series uh, about some of those theological and biblical words that sometimes, when not properly understood, and every generation needs to step back and reconsider uh, what biblical terms mean, uh, before the gospel is good news, uh, there is a um, sort of a bad news story that needs to be understood first. And so uh, there are three words, bad words of the Bible. Last week we talked about sin. This week we're going to talk about transgression. And uh, just like when you go to Starbucks, remember the first time you went to Starbucks and you were looking at the menu and there was a tall, a grande, and a venti. Something like that, right? How come the tall is the smallest you can get? Right? And what is a venti? I don't know. I'm not Italian. But what is a venti? Uh, You have to learn almost a new vocabulary. And then it's like, oh, I get what this means. And then you enjoy, right? If you enjoy Starbucks, you enjoy your coffee or your latte or cappuccino, whatever it is that you get along the way. But it's almost like um, a cultural orientation experience for you to understand the new language or terminology within Starbucks. And it ends up being a good news experience at the end of the day for those of you, again, who appreciate Starbucks. Uh, When it comes to the gospel of Jesus, as I already mentioned, it is tremendously good news. Um, Jesus himself taking on flesh, God himself taking on flesh, uh, dwelling among us, taking upon himself the sins of the human family. It is tremendous, tremendously good news for all of us, those of us who've, who've said yes to his offer of forgiveness. And the reason why it's such amazing news is we know that we need forgiveness. And so, again, last week we talked about sin. And um, before, before sin is introduced to the biblical narrative, uh, we understand that the creative order of things in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God goes to work making a tremendous, beautiful um, uh, world. And he speaks things into existence. And one by one, he says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Then he gets to the apex of his human creation. He makes the human family, the first man, the first woman. And he says, it is very good, right? So the first word spoken over us is that we are very good. And the reason we're very good is because we bear the image of the one true God. Every human in this place today bears uh, dignity and respect because of whose image we reflect. And that's why it is a capital crime against another person to take one's life, because we are in some way erasing an expression of the image of God. And uh, so sin is introduced to us the very first time in Genesis chapter 4. Again, Cain kills his brother Abel, the first homicide, where again, that which is very good ends up eliminating uh, a brother, and he asks at the very end, am I my brother's keeper? And we learned that sin actually is about us um, choosing the wrong way or missing the way, and perhaps even as the Hebrew scriptures uh, delineate, to fail. Well, who among us has not failed? Who among us has not missed the way? Right? Scripture says prophetically about all of us. There's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. And so we've all missed our way, And Jesus calls us back to the narrow way of the gospel. And so last week, again, we talked about sin. Today, we'll talk about this word, transgression. But before we get to that, if you're able, would you stand with me? And our passage to ponder is taken from Psalm 32, the first five verses. 
And uh, if you would recite it with me aloud so your neighbor can hear, it goes like this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. So bad words of the Bible, here's the three of them, right? We talked about it already briefly. Sin, which in Hebrew means kata, and in Greek it means hamarsha, which means to fail or miss the way or to miss the goal. Um, iniquity, which we will talk about next week. Behavior that is crooked. There's a crooked uh, way about us. There's a crooked posture, so to speak. And then transgression, which is what we're going to spend time talking about today. In Hebrew, it's pesha, and in Greek, it's paraptima, and uh, it means to break trust. Or it can also be translated rebellion or trespass. To break trust primarily is what it means to experience a transgression. So transgression explained. Um, If you're here today because you came with a family member or friend and you're hearing about how the human family has gone the wrong way, um, our intention today was not to bring you to this place to celebrate a baptism moment and to remind you how terrible of a human you are. Uh, you are not a terrible human. Remember, the first word spoken over you is that you are very good. But the problem with the human family, and all it takes is a cursory reading of the news, especially these days, is to recognize that we have gone the wrong way. Would you not concur as a human family? There is a lot of angst in our culture. There's a lot of pain. There is a lot of um, hurt that's happening. Uh, When we see the horrific experience of war, we see humans in many ways at their worst. To take another life is always a tragedy, and uh, we see so much of it. You just have to, again, read the newspaper, look at your feed on uh, social media, and see some of the things that happen, what we have done to our world, what we're doing to our world, how we treat one another. We all, as humans, have gone the wrong way. And God, the gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ invites us to consider a better way. And who could ever argue with the back end of Jesus' commandment? If you're here today and you're agnostic or perhaps atheistic and you struggle to believe in God or whatever language you say to a higher power and you find yourself saying, I can't go there, um, okay, fair enough. We all work out our belief. And maybe because of your backstory and some of the injuries of your own life, you struggle to believe in a God who is strong and yet full of love. In fact, who is love defined? Uh, but the back end of Jesus' commandment, who could ever argue with this, right? They asked Jesus, they said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. What would our world be like if we loved our neighbor as ourself? Whether you're agnostic or atheistic today in this space, just practicing the second part of this interconnected first commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, could change the world. Amen to that? 
loving our neighbor as ourself. What a change that can bring into our lives. So transgression, here's the problem. It is a trust violation against humans, and as we learned last week, if you were with us, it's also against God. And so we have violated sacred trust with God and with one another. And it can be characterized by two ways, or two things, open or concealed rebellion. Sometimes rebellion can be very overt and it's dramatic and it's visible and seen, measurable by what we experience. Other times there is a um, covert way by which we exercise mixed motivations at best or sometimes impure motivations and we conceal our rebellion, but rebellion is at work in the human heart. And so I guess to understand the gospel of grace first and foremost, we need to understand that all of us have failed or missed the way, right? That is sin. And another nuance of this whole idea of missing our way and failing is that we have broken trust with one another and we have broken trust with God. There is a broken um, relationship with God that needs to be reestablished. He didn't break it. We did. This is the story of the gospel. The ones who stepped out are the humans. In fact, God himself took on flesh as the perfect human and stepped in to our experience. We're the ones who step out. God steps in. Do you remember a number of months ago, we had a series where the creation of Adam, Michelangelo, where Adam is kind of reaching for God, but he's doing it really kind of half-heartedly at best. And God, you see this, this finger he's straining to touch, but he leaves just an open space there. We're the ones who kind of leave the gap. He's saying, all you got to do is just all you got to do is reach, and I'm right here. But he gives us free will, right? That gap between God and us is enough space to honor your and my freedom. We get to choose. And the way humans operate often is because we have this default in our own soul, which is what we're talking about over these three weeks, is that we have a tendency, we have a tendency to misuse our freedom. And so we don't exercise that free will often, in the ways that are best and beautiful and good. And so this is what Christians, this is what the Christian community, the Jesus-following community is all about. We don't profess, again, if you're here for the first time, those of us who've decided to follow Jesus, we are the last ones on the planet who say that we're perfect. We're the first ones who say we're not and we need help. So if you happen to have had a front row seat to watch Christians behave and they've stumbled along the way, that's what humans do, and that's what Christians do too. But the gospel of grace is for those who stumble and for those who realize they've failed, they've missed the way, for the ones who know, yes, I'm responsible for the breach of trust. God didn't break the trust. I did. And so we come to him and say, would you have mercy on me? And he says, 100%, it's yours for the asking. This is the good news of the gospel, but it starts with our need, which is somewhat bad news for us because our very good status is still in play because we're image bearers, but we've abused and misused our free will, which means we need some help. So I want to be mindful of the time today because we want to baptize people and not feel rushed or hurried to do so. So um, this idea of transgression explained, we have all transgressed and we have broken trust with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 15 goes like this. And there is a great difference between Adam's sin, this is the first man, and that word literally means transgression, 
there is a great difference between Adam's transgression, his breach of trust, and God's gracious gift. For the sin, or transgression is the word, of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. There was a sense in which, in the Bible, there is something called collective solidarity. And what that means is the one stood in for the many. And when we see Jesus dying, resurrecting, the one stood in for the many. And so in Adam, we have all experienced a breach of trust. And so um, we've all transgressed by the nature we've inherited and then by the abuse or misuse of our own free free will. And so Adam brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, the perfect human, God-man, Jesus Christ. So we've all transgressed in this place. Um, And transgression is treated in the Hebrew scriptures different than robbery. Track with me on this one for just a moment. Uh, I spent some time on the phone this past week because... um, there was an issue with our church credit card and uh, we were a little concerned because our transactions were frozen and we needed to uh, talk to RBC and uh, I was passed around from department to department and they eventually put me through to a security department and I'm giving them my PIN numbers, not my PIN number, but certain IDs and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I was there for about a half hour at six o'clock in the morning talking to a department. And after I hung up, I said to P, I said, Look at the money that RBC has to spend on just investigating what could be fraud against security, uh, against uh, transactions like credit card, um, fraudulent transactions. It's like, this is the world we live in where corporations have to spend lots of money to either investigate fraud or to prevent it in some way because the human condition is what? Right? We would like to get something for nothing, unfortunately. And when we're not at our best, we'll take things from others that don't belong to us. That's why the Ten Commandments, right? Do not steal. Pretty clear, right? But yet we do it all the time. Well, we, hopefully we don't do it all the time, but other people do it all the time. I was at a conference in Florida a number of years ago, and um, I didn't realize it at the time because I could be a little bit innocent or naive or something, but somebody came and sat by me, and there was a lot of room and stuff, and I didn't realize it until after I got home, but I think I ended up having one of those people sit beside me with one of those devices where they can get your credit card information from sitting close to you. What's it called? RFDI or something like that? Radio frequency. So I had to buy a new wallet. Um, with one of those things in it that protects the, uh, the radio frequency. But anyway, it, it happened to be the church credit card, and uh, it ended up getting um, fraudulently uh, accessed. By the way, sacred trust funds are all okay because the bank just returned all of it. it was, it's just wonderful that that happens that way, right? They do. And my phone call the other day was not a fraudulent thing either, so keep giving tithes and offerings. They're all safe and secure here at King Street. Um, but that's, that's how, you know, a stranger, perhaps, perhaps, right, came to me, sat by me. I don't know that that was the case. Maybe if somebody walking by me in the hallway, I have no idea. But it was just odd that there was no other, there was lots of open seats and they came and sat right by me. Felt a little uncomfortable. It was kind of like, oh, nice to meet you. And there's lots of spaces, right? I'm, I'm from Canada. We like our space, right? Uh, 
Um, but but that's, that could be the case where it was sort of um, attempted robbery, a stranger taking something, something from someone else. When the Ten Commandments says do not steal, it's implied a stranger taking something from someone else. Transgression is different than that. It's a trust violation. It's when your neighbor takes something from you. It's when your family member rips you off. It's when that close friend scams you in some way. It's like, hey, that, that was not expected. Now, that's, that's beyond robbery. Like, robbery is a stranger doing a B&E, and I don't know who this person is, but I felt violated in some way. But this, you're my brother, you're my friend, you're the trusted person in my life. This is at the core of understanding transgression. So here we are, invited to be God's friends, and we transgress him. It's like I wouldn't have expected that. I'm using a bit of a hyperbole here, but I wouldn't have expected that from you. I made you to be my friends. And we've abused the offer, and we've treated him like he's a stranger, and we've tried to just rip him off, so to speak. I'll use my freedom the way I want. Thank you very much. These are my years under the sun. I'll live them however I want to. This is my life. I'm captain of my own ship. I get to do what I want to do. And as the artist back in the 1970s wrote, was it Frank Sinatra? I'll do it my way. And God says, but I want us to be friends. All of us in this room today, and I don't mean this to be mean-spirited because I number myself among the group today, we are all transgressors. Every person here today has transgressed the very heart of God. We have broken trust with him. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a transgressor. And you know what the gospel of grace says? That's okay. Come on home. I make room for transgressors. It's his doing, not yours. He builds the bridge back to us. All we have to say is yes. That's why it's a tremendously good news story. You don't have to drop tons of money in the offering. It's always welcome, but you don't have to drop tons of money in the offering. You don't have to jump through religious hoops. You don't have to earn your way back. You say yes to the generous offer. At a deep soul level, you say yes, and then you begin to build that friendship with the one who is constantly reaching to us. And as we're going to celebrate in a few moments, it leads to a transformed life. So we are all numbered among the transgressors. Um, Let me illustrate this just so you know that I'm not talking off the top of my head here. Genesis 31. There's a story of a man named Jacob. It requires further explanation, and I don't have time to do it today, but he had two wives. Not recommended, okay? (laughs) In Scripture, just because it's recorded doesn't mean it's recommended. But there are two wives for Jacob, and he served 14 years. Imagine doing that with his, for his, uh, serving his father-in-law, Laban, in order to earn his, his love's hand in marriage, but he ended up with two hands in marriage. It's a longer story. But in Genesis 31, remember, we're talking about transgression is different than robbery. Let me read this story. It's a little bit um, nuanced, so I'll just kind of unpack it for you as we move along. But Laban went first into Jacob's tent. So Rachel had stolen. After the 14 years were over, Jacob is leaving his father-in-law's household with his two wives. 
So here's this father saying goodbye to his two daughters. And if you've ever given your daughter away in marriage, you know that this is a challenging thing for Laban. But it's even more challenging because Rachel, for some reason, decided she wanted to take the family idols with her. So she took one. She has at least one. Laban went first into Jacob's tent. He realizes they're missing. And he caught up to Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. And Laban went in first into Jacob's tent to search there, then into Leah's, and then the tents of the two servant wives. But he found nothing. And finally, he went into Rachel's tent. But Rachel had taken the household idols and had hidden them in her camel's saddle. And now she was sitting on them. And when Laban had thoroughly searched her tent without finding them, she said to her father, Please, sir, forgive me if I don't get up for you. I'm having my monthly period. So Laban continued his search. But he could not find the household idols. Then Jacob became very angry. And he challenged Laban, his father-in-law, and he said this. He says, what's my crime? Underline crime. Really, in the Hebrew, it's transgression. Because Laban was treating him like he was a criminal. I'm your son-in-law. I would never do that to you. What's my transgression or my crime, he demanded. What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I were a criminal or a transgressor, right? This is what's happening here. And he felt that sting because he was a son-in-law who would never do that to his father-in-law, even though when the story came out, Rachel actually did do it, right? She transgressed. She transgressed. So transgression as open or concealed rebellion. Um, The prophet Micah, again, if you're new to the Bible, there's all sorts of scripture I'm bringing to you today. Grab a hold of whatever you can grab a hold of today. The prophet Micah in the Older Testament, he addressed some social injustices and some moral corruption that was prevalent in both Judah and Israel in around the 8th century BC. He had some really tough words to speak to the people of his day. Some were leaders and uh, the wealthy elite, and uh, some was open, some was concealed, but it was both rebellion. Listen to this, Micah chapter 3, verse 8. This is the prophet speaking. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord. I'm filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. It actually is transgression in Hebrew. To boldly declare how Israel has missed the way, they have failed, and they have broken trust with God. He says, listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice. Twist all that is right. You're building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests, he says, you teach God's laws only for a price. If you don't get paid, you don't do it. You prophets won't prophesy unless you get compensated. Yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord is here among us. And so there was a sense in which it all looked nice and neat and tidy and everything seemed to be getting done the right way. But the prophet comes and says, no, 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 no. There's bigger problems here. Some are obvious and I'm going to point them out and some are less obvious, but they still need to be pointed out to us. And so there is a sense in which there is a uh, concealment to the rebellion and there is an openness to the rebellion. Both of them are uh, fulfilled in this word transgression. All right, so let's get ready to wrap up in just a moment here. The importance of trust. We've broken trust with God. We've broken trust, unfortunately, with each other. 
And you and I both know that the importance of trust is this. Without trust, everything breaks down. If you didn't trust your neighbor, you wouldn't want to live close by him, or you wouldn't want to live close by for too long. If you didn't trust leaders, you wouldn't want to be under their leadership, right? If you didn't trust your partner in some way, you'd want to really have some good, honest conversations about why that's the case. Business, for example, let me just bring this to you. Business, when business trust breaks down, investors lose money. Investors stop investing. Uh, My daughter is a CPA with Deloitte, and one of her roles, she's an auditor, one of the things she does in her world is to make sure that corporations report what they report and that it is confirmable, it's verifiable, so investors and shareholders are not getting ripped off. It's what she does, and it's important work because we want to have confidence, right, that things are the way they are. When you read the financial statements at King Street, you want to know that everything is being handled properly, and so we have an external accounting department who comes, or accounting firm that takes a good look at our books, and uh, that's how trust is retained or earned along the way. The Bible has something to say about this as it relates to business. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 14. This is a really interesting proverb. It's no good. It's no good, says the buyer. He's wanting to buy something on Facebook Marketplace. Shows up at the garage and says, I'm going to buy this wonderful bike. It looks amazing. Hey, this is no good. And then he negotiates a lower price. Then goes off and boasts about his purchase. Uh, You're not going to believe what I got. Guy was asking a thousand bucks for this bike. I took it for a ride. I said, it doesn't seem right. It seems off or something. I lied through my teeth. Got the bike for 500 bucks. Where's the trust in that? What about this one? Proverbs 16. By the way, that's not something I've done. I think I use first person there. That's not something that I have done. <laughs> Proverbs 16, verse 11. The Lord demands accurate scales. Make sure you don't play funny business with the scales. The Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standards for fairness. We treat each other well, right? If we learn anything about transgression, it's about treating each other fairly. Maybe these names of corporations will ring a bell. Enron, WorldCom, Briex, Lehman Brothers, or a recent one in the news, Theranos. These are companies where their share value went to like zero. People who were banking on pension, gone to nothing because of mismanagement, because of fraudulent representation. All of this stuff is so real. When trust breaks down in business, the economy breaks down, people lose their livelihood. It's very, very problematic. Marriage and family, right? Trust violations. If a husband doesn't trust his wife, a wife doesn't trust her husband, if the children feel like their parents are lying to them, right? All sorts of stuff can happen. So let me read this. Micah chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Remember, there's the real and the ideal. We live in the realm of the real, and we live in the tension with the ideal, There are no perfect people. There are no perfect marriages. There's life after divorce. There's life after divorce. But here's the ideal, the prophet Micah, or Malachi, I'm sorry. Chapter 2. Here's another thing you do, he says. You don't understand prophets, by the way. They're not mad people. They're just sent on a mission to point out the error of the people's way so they can return to God. And so here he is, Malachi says, here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with your, te- your, with your tears. You come and you weep at the front. 
weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why, the prophet says. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. So guard your heart and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. This is the invitation for us to keep trust with our partners, with our spouses, with our families. That's the call of the ideal. Unfortunately, there are breaches in trust. There is misuse and abuse and there is stepping out of relationships. And then God steps in and says, I know this is the ideal, but I step into your real and I redeem all things. So if you're here today and things didn't go well in your marriage, I want you to know that God's not done with you. God is a redeemer of all things. And his grace is enough for all of us And whatever life situation you are in, this is not a low view of marriage. This is a high view of God's redemption and his grace. This is the gospel of grace. And I'm committed to preaching it and living it. All right, international affairs as well. I don't have time to step into Joshua chapter nine, but trust me on this one. You can do your homework. There were some neighbors of Israel who said that they weren't neighbors of Israel. They said, can we have a peace treaty with you? We promise you no harm. And Israel, in good faith, stuck out their hand and said, we'll make a covenant agreement with you. We will make a peace treaty with you. And then they found out they were lying. Sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? Lots of talk about peace. And then we'll get you on October 7th. And then we'll get you again. And we're going to try and get you as many times as we can get you. By the way, that's what Hamas has said. You know that, right? They said they want repeats of October 7th. So let's remember to keep our head in all situations. But international affairs, if we cannot keep trust with one another, everything breaks down. And we're seeing it played out right now in the news, how it breaks down. So let's elevate Jesus, and then we'll wrap up and we'll baptize. Jesus steps into our broken trust. Back to Romans 5.15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin, which is transgression, and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who proved faithful and he lived trustworthy and with integrity. That's who Jesus was and is, and so must we. Prove faithful and live with integrity. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, This then is how you ought to regard us, the apostle writes, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, which is all of us, must prove faithful. So in the face of our transgressions, we come to a God in Jesus who offers us a way back to become his friends again. And it's a wonderful good news story. All right, so here's how I thought we would land our teaching time this morning, and then we'll go right into our baptism. If you're able, would you stand with me? I have a confession for us to make, and uh, may this truly come from our hearts. 
And so this is taken from Psalm 51, the first two verses, verse 10, and then verses 15 and 16. And so may this be our prayer today. Would you recite this with me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Amen? Amen.